Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm gonna be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate this is greg olson inviting you to check out my new blue wire podcast te1 where i interview tight ends throughout the history of the nfl who have helped revolutionize the position TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hi, this is Ruben Loftus-Cheek. I'm Pat Nevin. I'm Mason Mount. You're listening to the London is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of London is Blue podcast. This is our one of our one of our two monthly episodes with Matt Law. Uh, Matt, thanks for jumping on on this Wednesday morning. Uh, obviously, breaking news right away, even about Barkley. I think we'll definitely be talking about that. But you're a Villa fan, in case our listeners don't look or know. So. This is even like more exciting probably for you than just the typical Chelsea beat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, um, I had a vested interest in this one. I've been sort of reporting for the last couple of weeks that it's going to be either Barkley or Loftus-Cheek. So I've had a little bit more interest in, in what, what that one might bring than, than maybe usually. Um, but I was really pleased this morning. I think Ross is going to be a great signing for Villa. I think it's a good place for him to be. He's obviously got John Terry there. Um, we know Tammy Abraham's loan obviously went well at Villa. Drinkwater not quite so quite so well, but I think that's probably different circumstances. Um, but there's clearly a little relationship between the two clubs now, and I, I think all parties will will see that as uh, being mutually beneficial. All right, ooh, we might be able to add that. Who did you prefer, Barkley or Ruben? Later, but uh, <laughs> we're definitely going to jump into a lot of Declan Rice chat. Um, potentially the last major signing for Chelsea this window. Uh, with the likelihood players like Alonso, Jorginho, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, and Rudiger are playing in different kits post-international break. That's right, we mean transfers out. And then thoughts of the start of the season. It's obviously been very wild. VAR, handballs, a lot of stuff has been going on. Uh, but before we get into that, Matt, you have recently started a weekly newsletter. Is that right? That is right. Restarted, I should say. It That's was, right. Yeah. We, um, we, we paused it for a year last year because I think the... The guys at the Telegraph were working out how best to uh, to bring it back and how how best to sort of tweak it. But yeah, it's back. So I think it's every Wednesday, um, perfectly free. I think people just have to register, and then uh, it's mainly views. It'll be a little bit of news, but I'm keeping the news for the 
the newspaper and the normal channels. It will mainly be sort of views and uh, little inside snippets. So it should be good. Well, just more content for us to hang out and consume. Uh, so we'll put that link in the description. But anyways, Dan, let's kick off a little bit of the uh, the discussions on the incomings. Yeah, well, I mean, no, no surprise, Declan Rice ends up at the top of the show notes, considering that we are winding down the end of the transfer window. It's about to shut. Chelsea got done with business with, with Ziyech, Werner, Chilwell, Havertz, and now Mendy. So the last name, regular linked, Declan Rice, you know, given that the window is closing. Matt, what are your thoughts on the the odds that this is going to happen? Is there going to be one mass major push to get it across the line? And, and do you think it is something that Chelsea feel confident that they'll secure this window? See, this, this question scares me slightly because the, the last days of the transfer window are dangerous times to make predictions. Um, particularly when there's a slight delay on when you're talking to when the content goes out. Um, so I'm very aware that I could say something here and I end up looking silly because time passes this change. Look, as we sit here in, in England, it's 2.15 uh, p.m. on Wednesday afternoon. <laughs> uh, it's looking unlikely currently. It's looking unlikely. On the website, I can tell you that David Sullivan is, is telling people that over my dead body, will Declan Rice leave before the transfer window shuts? He's saying it's gone too late now, um, that even a big bid leaves him in an impossible position to replace him. Um, I've started to get the sense in the last few days that it's looking less likely of, of getting done, but never say never with Chelsea at the end of a transfer window because I've been covering Chelsea now for, for a good few years and a good few times they've pulled out a surprise on me or done something big at the end of a transfer window that hasn't looked possible. So I, I wouldn't have thought they've fully given upon it yet. But look, I, I know from the West Ham perspective that their view is it, it can't happen, that it will leave them in an impossible position um, because it's just been left too late for them. So uh, maybe two valid questions would be, uh, one, is it clear I through the first three, four games that Chelsea actually need Declan the most of any of the signings that they could potentially make. And two, haven't West Ham had any contingency planning knowing that this bid might come in? So, like, obviously it's it's pretty late in the window, but I'm just kind of thinking about the logistics there if they wanted to replace him. Yeah, I mean, look, from West Ham's point of view, it's, it's very hard to contingency plan when you... you you know, losing Declan Rice for them, they would be saying they want £70 million. And to contingency plan without that money, knowing you're coming in, it's, I'm sure they've got lists of targets they would turn to, but actually managing to do it in the last few hours of a few days or few hours of a window would still be really, really difficult to bring in any kind of quality. Um, in terms of the position, I mean, we spoke on the last episode, didn't we, that the mix in the midfield, Lampard and, and his staff, it's more about the mix than the individuals. You know, they're all talented individuals. They've got very talented midfielders, but from a defensive point of view, they can't quite get that mix right. And I think that has been very evident already in the first few games of the season. Um, and it's potentially a bigger issue than actually the, the personnel in the centre of defence because the ball just keeps coming straight through the middle of the pitch too much. Um, whether it'd be the biggest signing, I don't know, because that, that's easy to say now. It looks like it, it would be, but then were we sat here with them still not got a goalkeeper 
or still not got a centre forward in in Werner, I think we'd all be saying that that would potentially be more more important. So just now it looks like the biggest issue, but it's probably because it's the last big issue that they might be able to solve in this window. Um, and clearly the first few matches have exposed that it's still an issue that they need to solve, whether it be through players they have at the club or whether it be through someone they bring in. Right. I, I know it's been a big talking point on our podcast, the 4-3-3 versus the 4-2-3-1 formation. And it always comes back to the midfield and kind of how we set up. Is What about Ruben? Is he a make weight in this point? Are West Ham interested in him at all? Or is it straight cash deal? West West Ham were interested in him. I think West Ham, like a lot of clubs have been interested in Ruben, but a lot have been scared off for the same reasons. Um, I'm going to write about this today, but I'll give you sort of a, a little exclusive, as it were, but and, and, and tell you before I actually write it, that a deal for Ruben costs £8 million. deal to take him on loan for the season costs £8 million um, when you take into account his wages and fees. Now, £8 million looks, you know, like quite a good deal, albeit for a player you're not signing permanently. But then when you take into consideration his injury record, it's a massive risk for clubs. Um, And West Ham particularly have had problems with signing players who have had injury problems with Andy Carroll and Jack Wilshere. They're very scared of that. So I think they've been put off um, by the, the... the fee together with the injury record. I don't think they feel they can pay £8 million for a player they worry they might not get more than 25 games from. Uh, and the issue for a lot of clubs is Ruben. Um, and I feel sorry for Ruben because I think he's in a difficult spot with these last few few days of the windows. I think a week ago it looked like he might have a lot of options because there was a flurry of interest in him. But then once it became clear what the deal entails, a lot of that interest is either cooled or or being shelved. And I think he's going to have tough decisions to make come the end of the window because I think he might have a decision potentially between staying at Chelsea and going to somewhere like a Fulham or abroad, which wouldn't have been his preferred options, let's put it that way. He's in a difficult place. When it comes to contingency plans from a Chelsea perspective you know there are definitely you know options abroad or other players that potentially could come in and offer some midfield balance are you hearing that Chelsea might make a move on a secondary or a plan b option if they don't get Declan or are they going to try to figure it out internally and maybe wait till January I'm sure there are plan b's I mean I I, I'd got told I think I spoke on the last show that I told maybe the little bit of interest in Brozovic he actually got offered to them as part of a bid for Kante uh, which I reported on shortly after our last pod which and they Chelsea turned that down um, and I think that was the end of any hope of anything with with Brozovic whether it be from Inter Milan saying okay if you're not going to give us Kante we're not giving us him or whether Chelsea had had a look at him but weren't actually sold on him they'll be looking at lots of guys I mean obviously um, there, are, there are others um, Sumer is it I think as Frank's gone on, on record as saying before, the, the difficulty with that is that the, the sense will be around Declan and, and we've spoken about this before as well, that if you don't get Declan this summer, I think it's very likely that Chelsea will still end up getting Declan at some point. Um, probably unlikely January, but more likely next summer. So you don't want to block off that path. Um, I wonder, and look, this is based on no information whatsoever. This is me... Um, hopefully a bit of an educated guess. 
Look, there's a very high possibility that Rüdiger will leave before the window ends. I'm sure we're going to get around to talking on him in some detail. Tomori also wants to go on loan because he wants to play more regularly. Would Chelsea to get rid of Tomori and, and Rüdiger, whether it be on loan or permanent deal for one and loan for the other? I still wouldn't rule out a surprise move on a centre-back if they can't get Rice done just to try and strengthen something up while they wait on Rice. They will have irons in the fire. Chelsea love, Chelsea are good at doing things late and doing things quickly that, that take us by surprise in windows. So, like I say, it's not based on information. It's, it's more of a putting two and two together. But if they can't get Rice and they were to move on Rudiger and Tamori, I wouldn't necessarily be surprised if a, surprise, if a, if a bid went in on a on a centre-back even before the window shuts. Uh, that's a that's an interesting way to, to hear about the club and, and how they do their dealings, obviously, and it just obviously is going to keep you on edge until the very close oh, the window. Horrendous. It's horrendous. You can't relax. The last few days of a transfer window with Chelsea, you just can't relax. I, I, uh, I, with other clubs where you can kick back and you, you can be confident that you know what's going on, but Chelsea are really good at throwing in a curveball at the end of a transfer window. Other than those two, you know, kind of potential options, that maybe a sneaky center back or maybe a, a central midfielder, are there any other names that are kind of coming across your wire as potential incomings before we go to the outgoings section? No, I think it's going to mainly be about the outgoings the, the last few days. Um, I, there's no real need across anything else can be shelved now I think it's whether they can just bring in whether if it can't be Rice it's just whether they can bring in a player who just makes them more solid whether it's a defensive midfielder or a defender whether there's that option out there just to help them just just become more solid and a little bit more aggressive in the middle of the park um, they don't need to do anything anywhere else really you know once you get the two wingers fit in Ziyech and Pulisic it frees up a lot of options, not just on the wings and forward area, but it also allows Havertz to play further back in, into the midfield. Obviously, it allows Mount to play in, in a more normal position rather than being moved around the pitch quite so much. So just having those two guys back is, opens a lot of doors for them in, in the midfield and the attacking areas. All right. Well, uh, definitely appreciate that. I think it's interesting to hear that we're not even contemplating that Chelsea could still do signings. Like, they're open to it. They're willing to do more business, which is amazing as a fan. Uh, we're going to take a real quick break, uh, but we're back. It's all about the outgoings and then even a little bit more about the season at large. So we'll be right back. Fellas, 2020 has made it hard for us to stay as hygienic as we should be. Luckily, our partners at Manscaped have made it easy to turn your bathroom into your own private salon. Manscaped is on a mission to change the grooming game with their below-the-waist grooming and hygiene products, and they just released their products in the UK, Canada, and Australia. The Lawnmower 3.0 Trimmer offers a replaceable ceramic blade with advanced skin-safe technology, which helps reduce grooming accidents. The waterproof technology also allows you to groom in the shower and for up to 90 minutes. They also just released their Shears 2.0 Nail Kit, which is perfect add-on to the Lawnmower 3.0 Trimmer. Their perfect package comes with two free gifts and other liquid formulations to complete your ball trimming routine. These formulations are all vegan, cruelty-free, dye-free, sulfate-free, paraben-free, so you know your disco stick is in good hands. You're probably sitting 
sitting on the couch with their hands on your balls anyways. Might as well keep them smelling fresh with the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant, an anti-chafing ball deodorant designed to defend against the below-the-waist odors. When that summer humidity hits, I use these to keep my balls from sticking to my legs. They even use the Crop Reviver Ball Toner that is spray-on toner for your testicles. Their Foot Duster Foot Deodorant is so good that it can even reduce the odor of the dirtiest feet. Use the code LONDONISBLUE and get 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com. Basically, all I'm saying is if you love your package, all you have to do is go to their site, hit a few buttons on your phone, and it will change your life for the better. Get 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com with the code LONDONISBLUE and upgrade that salon with the luxury products of Manscaped. You've counted on restaurants, and now they are counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. That's right. DoorDash is the app that brings the food you're craving right to your door. Ordering is super easy. You just open up the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with their new contactless delivery drop-off setting, which I encourage. Choose from your favorite national restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, or the Cheesecake Factory. But they have the added bonus of having some of your favorite local spots on there as well, which I, I personally love to support my local restaurants it's like Lulu's in Kansas City. What's up? Shout out to you guys. I've eaten from you a lot this year. <laughs> right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more, which is not hard to do, when you download the DoorDash app and enter code BLUEWIRE. That's all one word. That's right. $5 off and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the app store and enter code BLUEWIRE. Don't forget, that's code BLUEWIRE for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. Do it. All right, well, here we go, Nick. It's, as Matt said, it's from here on out pretty much all about the outgoings, and we have a bit of a list here, but as we <laughs> said at the beginning of the show, Matt just broke this morning, which the pod will be out a day later, so we won't be breaking it, obviously, uh, that Ross Barkley's gone on loan to Aston Villa. Um I guess we are you surprised by Barkley leaving or not really at least before we get into the the details of it Nick. Uh yeah, a little bit surprised. I mean, uh, Matt to me it, it seemed likely that Ruben and or Ross would go, but I did, I didn't see both as the most likely scenario there. Can can you maybe expand on a little bit on what you know about Ross Barkley to Villa and, and kind of what the allure is from for both sides. Interestingly, Villa Villa basically went in to Chelsea for both Ross and Ruben. And originally, when this first started becoming a, a bit of a possibility, maybe ten days ago, um, Villa thought that there it was more likely that they'd be able to get Ruben. Um, their first choice, I believe, was Ross, and I think that's only on a fitness issue. I think they think that Ross can go in and be hit and ready and hit the ground running. Whereas, as we just discussed, I think there's maybe just a few more doubts over how long it will take Ruben to, to get going. Um, but that they, they, like a lot of clubs, thought that, that, that Chelsea would be reluctant to loan Ross, that they're, they're looking more sell if they were going to take that option. But, I mean, you know... It's difficult for Frank at the moment. That that squad's really large, and all of those players now um, hasn't got any players really who aren't looking at the Euros, looking at their international ambitions. So you know, both Ross and Ruben are looking at the the Euros in the summer. Um, that has gone already. I, I suspect had we had the Euros when they're meant to have been played in the summer, just gone, that Ross would probably be thinking he'd stick around at Chelsea at least until January to see how much football he got because he's still kind of in and around it. He's on the bench, he's playing in the Caribbean. 
properties come off the bench. I think in a, in a non-tournament year, Ross would be staying till January. But the tournament aspect of it just just brings everything to a head and, and means that he needs to play football. Um, and, and, and Ruben too. So the, the, the Villa one came through them basically putting in an inquiry on both and seeing who was available. And they were, they were being told, well, as long as you pay all the wages, then then either one can can be a deal. Um, and, and Ross ended up being their preferred choice. I, I think there's a fair chance Ruben will still go, even though his options may be quite limited. Um, just he needs to play football so much and so regularly and everyone at the club agrees with that. Um, his loan, I think, would be different to Barclays. Barclays' loan, to me, looks like a loan with him potentially then leaving some, to somewhere permanently, whether it be Villa or somewhere else at the end of the season. If, if Ruben goes on loan, it's very much with a view still to trying to come back and have a Chelsea career. But he just needs to play, even if that's at somewhere like Fulham, where clearly it will be a struggle of a season, but he just needs to play regular football. So, Rukuk and Ross, it seems like Frank always liked Ross, gave him a lot of opportunities. Is this the player you ex- you thought Chelsea signed when we picked him up from Everton? Or do you think maybe he hasn't had the consistency or the levels that maybe Chelsea were hoping when they when they signed him? Chelsea signed him for £15 million in a January transfer window. So he's actually provided... They're, they're always going to make money on Ross. You know, when, when, when the day comes that they sell... You know, they're going to get... I think the, the loan deal to Villa is worth about £5 million. So they're already, you know, getting a third of what they paid for him back just on a loan. So as a business deal, purely a business deal, Ross was an incredible deal for Chelsea, incredible deal. Um, adding to that, the fact he was homegrown, and at that time when he came in, they didn't have all the academy lads, so they, they needed to, to get the homegrown players in to, to help with the European football. So that... I, I actually think Ross has done fine as a Chelsea player. I mean, uh, he hasn't set the world alight. That's that's for sure. But when he's played, he's done well. He's had some very good periods where he's he's scored important goals. He's been a valuable squad member. I think he's done okay. I think he's. I think. Look, I'm not a Chelsea fan, but and I know fans look at it differently. I do with Villa than than people do objectively. But I think he's been solid. I think he's been. Been good, I think. You know, if if he now, if this is the end of his Chelsea career, I think you look back on Ross Barnes. Yeah, he was, he did okay, he did all right, and he was a, at the time for fifteen million pounds, he was a good signing. Agreed. No, that I think it's super fair. Um, okay, well, look, moving to Marcus Alonso, uh, the Athletic talking about how Lampard absolutely destroyed Alonso, how he went to the bus, kind of just was in a, it was not a good day out for Marcos, I would say. Um, we obviously know we need to offload a left back. <laughs> what any what is going on with this situation right now? Is it Alonzo now being frozen out and like put on the 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 kind of shop window, or is it was that just in the heat of the moment? Maybe things will settle down. Well, it was already the case because of the nature of the transfer market during COVID that Chelsea were in a position with both the left backs where they're probably going to have to accept whichever best offer they got on on either of them whether it be a permanent or a loan, because, you know, Chelsea, it's a difficult market for Chelsea to shift players in because everyone's on high wages and everyone's values are pretty high. Um, look, the, the reality is they've been looking to shift Marcus Alonso for a while. Um, 
They would have sold him in January. They wanted about £30 million for him. No one wanted to pay £30 million for him. There's, there's been a few windows past now where they would be willing sellers, even though he wasn't up for sale and he wasn't being frozen out, they were willing sellers at, at different times. Um, look, at what Alonso did at, at West Brom, actually, it, it, it would have gone unpunished under previous regimes. You know, Lampard came in, and uh, do you remember there was very early in Lampard's reign the story about all the fines he'd imposed, the huge fines for being late. You know, if you're late, you're fined 10 grand. If you miss training, I think it's 20 grand or something like that. You know, massive fines. And this was because he came and found a culture that he didn't like. You know, he found a culture at Chelsea where the players were being allowed to pretty much do what they liked. It got very, very lax under Sarri. Um, it probably shifted from one place under Conte where it was too strict and everybody was unhappy because it was too strict and it had gone way too far the other way with, with Sarri. And I, I suspect, and I don't know this as fact, but I suspect that Alonso would have been allowed to go and watch the second half on the bus if he'd have wanted to under Sarri and that s stuff like that probably wasn't viewed as being particularly strange. Um, but Lampard was very quick to try and change all that. So Lamp Lampard is huge on this. And funnily enough, in his press conference on Friday, um, and excuse my language, I don't know whether we're allowed uh, a little bit of bad language on the London is Blue podcast, but we talked about a no dickheads rule um, on Friday ahead of the West Brom game. And it's something the All Blacks rugby team are very big on. And Lampard said that he, he has read the, the All Blacks book and he likes the no dickheads rule. He wants something like this within Chelsea. And of course, ironically, it's a day before Marcus Alonso, one could argue, acted like a bit of a dickhead. Um, mm. And clearly, he won't tolerate anything like that. Personally, I don't think it has a huge bearing on Alonso's future because they've been open to offers for him from, from January. I don't think it actually changes a lot. Um, it probably solidifies a few opinions on him within the Chelsea coaching staff. Um, but he could stay. If they get a good offer on Emerson, it will be Emerson who goes and Alonso who stays. You know, it's not a Diego Costa situation where the guy can't ever play for the football club again. It's not that serious. So is it looking likely still that Inter in, in Italy ends up being the preferred destination for Alonso or Emerson? Or is there well, other interests that start well, to pop up? Inter, Inter have been interested in a lot of players and they've got no money. It's why they came in with this strange bid for Kante where they offered several players and a very small amount of cash to Kante because it's, it's all they could muster up. And again, with, with Emerson, they've been sort of interested in him and Alonso all through the summer, but they've got no money. And if it's going to be to Inter, I think it would have to be pretty much alone with them just paying their wages. So whether anything better comes up, I don't know. But I, I, I suspect come the final days of the window that one of them will end up going somewhere alone, whether it be into or somewhere else. I don't, I can't see a better deal out there for them at the moment. But maybe, I mean, Marina works magic in these situations. So maybe she has some magic up her sleeve. One, one that's a little, you know, seems like kind of a, a done deal at this point from an outgoing perspective, Matt, is Rudiger, um, which has transitioned <laughs> incredibly quickly over the last uh, couple of weeks since we last talked to you. I mean, it, it is, it's only been two weeks and yeah. everything seemed normal at that point, but um, let's, let's talk about Rudiger. Let's think about uh, one kind of what happened in the fallout and then two, what's likely to happen with him moving forward. Is it Italy? Is it Germany? Is it somewhere else in the Premier League? Look, 
there's not been like any sort of huge row with Rüdiger. There's there's not been some massive incident um, that I know of anyway. You know, maybe we'll find out in the in time that there has. But I I don't hear a big incident. Basically, Rüdiger's just he's a German international. He's a strong personality. It's a similar similarish situation to David Luiz in that Rüdiger will not accept not being in the conversation to start every single game. He will accept not starting every single game, but he won't accept being sort of fourth choice and, and not even really having a chance. So he's not just going to make up the numbers and, and sit on the bench every week. And it's not going to be healthy for him or the club for him to be around doing that. Not because I think he's going to cause masses of trouble, but because it's not going to be a positive situation. He's not going to be fighting, fighting, fighting to get in because he's going to be angry that he's he's not there and he feels he should be. And a bit like the David Luiz situation, if he's not in the first two or three choices for centre-back, then it makes sense for him really to, for him and the club to try and move on. Um, he's on big wages. As I say, he's a big personality. So it's sensible really for the club to move him on. And... He is either fourth or fifth choice centre-back now. That is just the case. He wasn't great at the end of last season. I think Frank made a decision on him at the end of last season um, in the sort of final third of the season that was disrupted by COVID that, that Rudiger wasn't a player he wanted to go forwards with, that he wanted to either bring in replacements or he was going to put his faith in, in other people in the squad. And from that point on, it became whether the situation could be managed with Rüdiger in the squad. And I, it's just not really possible, just like David Luiz. So I think everybody, I think Rüdiger's accepted the best thing would be for him to go, whether it be on loan or a permanent deal. Chelsea have accepted that. The sticking point here is that Rüdiger has less than two years on his contract. Now, Chelsea have a club rule that to loan anybody out, you have to have two years or more on your contract. So as we saw, Batshuayi signed a, a contract extension to go out on loan. To fulfil the club rule, Rudiger would have to sign a contract extension, um, which obviously is a little bit weird when you know your future's probably not at the club. So that's a little obstacle. Whether they can bend the rules for him or whether he's prepared to sign the extension knowing that it doesn't really mean too much other than protecting his value. PSG have definitely shown a lot of interest I hear that they would prefer to loan him to start with. So the whole issue on whether he can be loaned has got to be sorted out for that one. Tottenham are definitely interested. Um, they're more in the market for Milan Skriniar at the moment, but he Rüdiger is their second choice. And I think Tottenham would be prepared to try and buy him, um, probably around 20 million. Um, and then it becomes whether Chelsea will do business with Tottenham. I mean, uh, the evolving question. Obviously, you know. <laughs> Selling look, to I, a... I, I look, I look, not, not, unfortunately, none of us particularly know Marina Granovskaya, but just from working around Chelsea a lot and talking to people who do know Marina Granovskaya, she takes the emotion out of these things. So I think if the, the, the deal is best for Chelsea that he goes to Tottenham, I think she'll do it. I don't think she will care that they're big rivals. I think that's, that's what they were willing to do on Giroud in January. They did it with Juan Mata and Man United. I know the rivalry is different. If if the deal with PSG is not right, but the deal with Tottenham is right, it won't stop it just because they're Tottenham. I don't think. So, it, but isn't that a factor though of like strengthening a rival? Doesn't doesn't that like play into the equation of what's best for Chelsea in the league? Or does she say, hey, 
I'm just here to make the money. It's your job to take care of business on the pitch. Look, if what's happened previously is Jose Mourinho said to her, I don't mind one matter going to Man United. So she did the deal. If, If Frank Lampard is happy for Antonio Rüdiger to to play for Tottenham, she'll do the deal. Fair. You know, if it's the best deal. I, I sense that Frank Lampard would probably have a right of veto to say, he, I don't want him playing for Tottenham. But then she will turn around to him and say, well, in that case, I might not be able to get him out of the club. And therefore, you, you guys need to sort something out here because you're going to have to work with each other. For. So, you know, there's give and take on both sides there. Yeah. All right. That's, yeah, that's super fair. Um, just a quick one on Tamori. Does it sound like he's going to stay, or do you think he's very much open? He did it. Did you say earlier he's more interested in leaving on a loan to secure game time rather than Chelsea? Okay. I don't think I'm betraying any confidence this year to say that Fakai Tamori wants to go out on loan, not because of anything bad towards Chelsea, but because no, he wants game to go time. Play. Yeah, purely game time, pure for you to come back, a stronger position as a Premier League footballer. Um, to come and compete at Chelsea. You know, he, he played a lot in the first half of last season and didn't in the second half. I think it's clear already that his minutes will be limited. I think Frank would love to keep him around because he is a great lad. He is a great character. He is just the perfect player for a manager to have around. Um, and you know what you're going to get from him. You know you're never going to get a problem from him. But he wants to play. So I think he's very keen. Everton have been there for a very long time, but Everton can't just hang around forever for him. So Everton are going to have to make a decision whether they go for someone else. Um, Yeah, big decision for him, big week for him. And I feel a bit sorry for him if he doesn't get his loan because he wants it for the right reasons. Um, But, you know, that's football. Chelsea hold his contract. He's currently a part of the best center back pairing at the club according to the London is blue podcast. So, um, we're, we're interested in this one because it, it seems so odd that a young promising talent, you know, given our other options and Thiago Silva and Andreas Christensen and Kurt Zuma would be allowed to leave when, you know, there are, are other players who are maybe not as high on the list. So just an interesting. I, I, look, I, if you ask me to pick my, First choice central pairing at the moment. I'd have Tamori in it. Mm-hmm. I like Tamori. He's got he's got the bit of pace that the others don't don't quite have. I he he can be like all of them liable to a bit of mistake. I, I trust him a little. I like him, and I, I think his partnership um, his partnerships have looked a little bit better with Zuma than than other partnerships have. Um, and I would like to see him with. I'd like to see him have a go with Silver as well. Um, but hey, I don't see him every day in training. <laughs> uh, one of the last ones who uh, frequently comes up is Jorginho. And, you know, I think you've written about the fact that him moving is potentially predicated on if Chelsea can get the, the Declan Rice deal done. Does it look like there's, you know, I know we talked about like, does a market exist for him previously? Uh, are there still people calling on him on a regular basis to see if he's willing for to make a move? And is there something ready if the domino, Declan domino does fall? Well, the really interesting one is that the interest from Arsenal is real. It's it's very real. I mean, look, I think Arsenal are probably going to sign a while and Jorginho is not their first choice, but they're, He's a bit like Rüdiger's sort of Tottenham second choice on uh, Arsenal. I've got Jorginho on a list of three and it's a real, and I, I was told not to discount the possibility of a very late loan on him 
if uh, if Arsenal can't get what else they want. So he's got them. I'm told as far I don't know the clubs um, because I think the Juventus one probably has gone after Sari went. But mm. I'm told there's definitely foreign interests in Jorginho as well. Um, I, I would let Jorginho go personally. I, I just don't think he's quite suited to the system, the style of play. England as a whole in terms of the football we've seen good good things from Jorginho and I can see why a lot of a lot of fans like him I, I personally would let him go I, I think he's a bit too he gets done on the turn too easily he doesn't recover well he's a bit ponderous he leaves holes um, but I'm told he's a good character you know we know that because he gets the armband a lot and I think he's reacted well unlike unlike maybe Rüdiger who is diff- more difficult to manage if he's not playing. I actually think that Jorginho has proved that you, you can still manage him if he's not playing. So it won't be any sort of problem to Frank if he doesn't go. I think, you know, we, we've talked about midfield balance a lot on, on the first three match reviews. Obviously, Jorginho is a part of that. Um, but it is good to at least, I don't know, in, in general, Matt, just to wrap up, do you think Frank is doing a good job of managing these guys as they have one foot out the door? Or do you think he's been blessed to have guys that aren't making a big fuss about maybe not being in his plans, but are not really sure what their future is? I think the last few weeks has been really difficult. I think that Chelsea's squad is so huge. Um, and now is, like I said, full of players who demand to be playing and have international ambitions. I think the squad has been nigh on impossible to manage the last couple of weeks. I think it's been a really, really tough job for him. And I think it's imperative that they get players out to bring that size of the squad down and make it a group that he can manage because I think the size it is at the moment is just impossible Um, and with a different ambition. So I, I think it's been a tough few weeks for him. I don't think it's been particularly helped by the transfer window staying open once games have started. Um, because obviously the nature of it is the players just become more and more unhappy while they see people playing and they're not playing. So I think he's he's really desperate to get through this Crystal Palace game with a victory, get the transfer window shut, even if they can't bring a player in, but get the players they need to get out, get the squad size down to what he needs and like start proper work from the international break. And in fairness to Frank, he's basically, if you read what Frank has said in all of his press conferences from the summer, he's pretty much been saying that. He's been saying the need for time, the need to get to the international break. He basically sees that as the start of Chelsea's real season. This all feels a bit like pre-season for Chelsea because they started late because of the European run, um, because of the business that still needs to be done in terms of getting players out, because of the amount of players they signed. And I know that's a problem that loads of clubs would love to have, but He's seen this first four matches almost as just a pre-season. And it's felt like that. Being around the club, covering the club, it's felt like pre-season. It doesn't feel like a real season yet for Chelsea. We don't know their real team yet because of injuries and people bedding in and who will go. We don't really know how it's going to shake down. I I assume Frank Frank knows in his head. But I I can't wait till we come back after the international break and we, we get to see the real Chelsea. I don't think we've seen it at all yet. Which is why I would say, look, I'm not trying to give people a free pass, but I would just say I think it's real folly if people start making any sort of judgments yet. Judge come sort of get through another month after the in-break, because after the in-break we will see the real Chelsea. And 
if that's good, bad, or indifferent, I, I would say start making judgments at that point. All right. Um, well, we, we are going to wrap this one up, Matt, but it's kind of funny. We didn't even talk about goalkeepers today. You know, <laughs> I, I think that's a, I think that's because our, our problems are solved with Edouard Mendy. It, after 90 minutes, we're just assuming that we're good. But maybe you can give us a yes or no on Keppo. Will he be at Chelsea this season? Yes. All right. All right. That sounds Maybe like no. to be continued. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Yeah. <laughs> More yeah. to come. Follow Matt on Twitter for all of the best insights and everything. Uh, Nick, Dan, gentlemen, thank you. Matt, appreciate the time as always. Um, we're going to put thank links you. in the description to go follow, um, but I'm sure everyone that we have is already following you as, as we'd expect. So anyways, that's going to wrap us up, Chelsea fans. Uh, we'll be back with a match preview headed into Crystal Palace. Uh, so look out for that one, but that's going to do it. So until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.